uh, so you can put that on the on the podcast, Jeff, or whoever's doing that. Um, I want to turn your attention today to a, a very uh, short verse, but a very significant verse. Sometimes um, good things come in small packages, would you agree? Uh, look at my wife. So, uh, Proverbs 23.7, she's not here, uh, out the back. Uh, Proverbs 23.7, let's look at that verse. I think I put all the verses there for you, David, to put up. Um, it says, for as a person um, thinks in their heart, or for as, as, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And then it has this other little bit at the end. But I wanted to major on the first part of the verse. And I've just got, as a person thinks in their heart, so are what? So are they. Uh, or so is he. Or so, it really is generic for both male and female. As a person thinks in their heart, so are they. You'd have to appreciate everybody this morning that your external world is a reflection of your internal world. Um, I was thinking of something to illustrate that, and I remember when I first came to uh, um, work here at the, at the church as a young man, I, uh, I had a desk, and uh, my desk was quite, uh, it, it was quite busy. Uh, that's another word for cluttered, but anyway... Um, so I'd have piles of stuff here and here and here and here. It just, it just was everywhere. And, and as I started to just think about my cluttered desk, I realized that was a little bit how I run my life because um, what I was prone to do was I'd start a project and I'd get this, oh, thank you very much. I just need to remember that, don't I? I've got these wonderful people who do. And I was a bit prone um, to start a project, and then I'd kind of get distracted by something. And I'd, oh, I've got to do that, and I'd be over here doing that. And then I'd get distracted by something else, and I'd go and do that. And so by the time I got to the thing that was three jobs to go over there, you know, it was a couple days later. And it was just, um, and it kind of reflected in my desk. My internal world was a little bit cluttered, and so my desk reflected that, it, and, and it was a bit cluttered as well. And when I realized that, I realized I needed to do something about how I approached my um, jobs and the things I needed to do, my to-do list. And I started to just focus on one job and get it completed. And then before I started the next one, I'd complete the first one. And you know, it's amazing when I did that, it reflected in my desk and my desk actually became totally clear. So today, if you go into my office and look at my desk, the main part of the desk is totally clear. I just stuff everything in the cupboard. <laughs> No, not really, but isn't it amazing? Your, internal, uh, your external world is reflective of your internal, um, your internal world, your external world, the reflection of your internal world. And, and if you think about life, if you were created from the inside out, even in your mother's womb, did you know that the first organs to be developed in, as a little embryo, as a fetus, was your heart and internal organs? And then... All the external stuff started to happen, like fingernails and skin and everything else. I know there was some membrane there was your external body, but it was your heart. Your heart doesn't take many weeks before it's beating or many days before it's beating, and it, you're so small. Isn't it amazing? You were, you were created from the inside out, which supports the whole thought that our external world is reflective of our internal world. Um, life flows from the inside of you. And that's why the Bible says in this verse, as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. As they think in their heart. See, we live in a world that pushes the external a lot. And we all understand that, you know. 
buy this exercise machine, um, inject your face with this Botox. Sorry. Now, now, those things have their place. It's okay. I understand. But it doesn't change the fact of what's inside you, does it? The external world continues to push it. Um, that's what advertising it is all about. Buy this. And, you know, it's amazing. How many exercise machines, if I bought them, how I would look, I would be incredible. <laughs> yeah, you've got to use them. Now, the truth is, is that God realizes that we live in a world that pushes the external, but he's offered us some help. And he says in a, in a, um, a prophet, through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, 8 and 9, he says this, interesting, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are, my ways, uh, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, but as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher or my thoughts than your thoughts. So our thinking can be so distracted by an external world, but our thinking can be different in, to God's in the, the way we live our life because we're so focused sometimes on what's external and not really focused on what really needs to be dealt with internally. But here is the good news. We can have access to God's thoughts, God's uh, attitudes, and ultimately... We start to live then in God's ways. Have you ever wanted to, you know, it says Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. Jesus is the way because, but the first thing before you can live in his way is you've got to live in his thoughts. You've got to have his attitudes, his thoughts about life and how we do life. And so um, he can help us change uh, our, our thoughts so that then we live differently in, and we start to live in his ways. And it's through the power of his presence it's through the power of his Holy Spirit. It's, it's through his, we do the exchange of my thoughts for his thoughts. Um, because my thoughts right now can be limited by an external world when really I need to let him come and invade my internal world. And my thoughts, you know, my thoughts can be like this, you know, uh, when is someone going to give me a break? You know, that's my thoughts. Or, or, or my thoughts can be, why do things, do I, why do all bad things happen to me? It can be my thoughts, when really not all bad things are happening to me, but that's what it feels like. Um, my thoughts. Life is always cruel. But, you know, that's my thoughts. See, see but when we, we come and receive the life of Christ into us and we receive Christ, and then our thoughts can start to change by His power of His presence in our life, His Holy Spirit, and we begin to think God's thoughts, greater things like this. You know, it's true. Greater is God in me than, than the devil that's in this world, I tell you. You know, we can start to think those thoughts. Or, or we can start to think things like, you know what? I'm one of Abraham's children and God said he was going to bless Abraham in his inheritance. And so I'm blessed in the city and I'm blessed in the country. I'm blessed. Have you ever gone through, woken up in the day and say, Father, I thank you that you blessed me today. You know, thinking God thoughts. And, you, know, you can start to see, you know, you can say, well, you know what? I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. It's, it's exchanging sometimes the thoughts of, oh, this world's so cruel. Or, hey, God, I'm blessed. It's exchanging the thoughts. And it's not being fake or false. It's being truthful if you take a hold of what God says about you. And you live in Him. Um, and it all begins as we allow the change 
within our heart because as a person what thinks in their heart, so are they. I think you understand that. So you may ask the question today, what kind of heart attitude should I have? That's a great question. Thank you for asking it. I might even tell you right now. Is that okay? Well, let me give you some what a heart attitude is. Just look at what Scripture says and, and the heart attitude we should have. Um, let's embrace, let's just think about this for a moment. It's okay. You know, the, one of the things the Bible says about our heart is it needs to be a soft heart. You might say, well, that's a soft heart. Well, um, obviously, it's different to a hard heart. Very good. He's with me. Mark, if you were to read this story of this conversation between Jesus and his disciples when they're in a boat one day, it, and it goes from Mark chapter eight right through to Mark, sorry, Mark chapter six through to Mark chapter eight. It's an interesting story unfolds. Uh, Jesus had just previous to this fed the five thousand, you know, and with five loaves and two fishes, and and all that had unfolded. It was a miracle, and they're in a boat, and um, and then and Jesus is having this conversation, and Jesus takes the opportunity because he'd fed the five thousand with five loaves of uh, bread. Um, he takes this opportunity to talk about a thing called leaven. Do you know what leaven is? Leaven is when you put it into a bread, you know this, and, and it makes the bread rise. And so Jesus says, hey, you, hey Mark, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, you disciples, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he was talking about hypocrisy, wasn't he? He was talking about being a hypocrite. He was saying those Pharisees, not all of them, but some of them, what they do is they say one thing, but they do the direct opposite. So when, they, when Jesus talks about leaven here in the Bible, he's talking about what you are in your public life, be in your home life. That's always a good lesson for parents, isn't it? Your children learn to realize that you're, you're not fake, you're real. But hypocrisy is a terrible thing. The opposite is a wonderful thing, being, being who you are publicly and who you are privately and being honest about that and being all that you can be in both places is not being hypocrite, it's being real and it's being true to yourself. But Jesus is talking to the disciples about the leaven representing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and they, what they say is not what they did. So in Mark chapter 8, the disciples, they get down to this story. The disciples, folks, they were clueless. Please understand, this is just the start of their time with Jesus, so let's not judge them too harshly. But they, they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about when he said leaven of the Pharisees. And they knew leaven was to do with bread, but, but what they thought was, and it actually says in Mark chapter 8, it says, oh, didn't we bring enough bread? Is that what Jesus is talking about? We, didn't, we forgot to bring the bread to eat. And, and Jesus finally, the disciples were just clueless. So Jesus finally says to them in Mark eight seventeen, "Why do you reason that you have no bread?" He just he's just outright with it. Why do you reason that you have no bread? Do you do you not perceive nor understand? Aren't you getting it? And then he says, "This is your heart still hardened." Interesting. Here's the point: when we have hard hearts. We're going to find it difficult to understand kingdom things and spiritual things. And, and, we, and, and yet, and what happens is that, that it tells me that the kingdom things are interpret, interpreted or spiritual things or how we live life uh, you know, to the fullest with our Heavenly Father is, is dependent on the condition of our heart. Whether we're going to grasp those things that God wants to speak to us about, how to live life. You know, what does it really mean to be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus? I don't know. 
What does it mean when, when the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee? What, 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 what does that mean? You know, um, it means what it means. You know, but you know, if we've got a hard heart, we, it, the Scripture says, you're not going to interpret. See, the disciples didn't interpret the fact that Jesus was talking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. They couldn't grasp that. They thought he was talking about the fact that they didn't bring any bread. But when you have a hard heart, you miss those points of what God is saying so even when we read the scripture uh, you know if our heart is hardened you're going to miss what maybe the holy spirit's trying to speak to you about your life and how he wants us to live in joy and peace and goodness and kindness and the fruit of the spirit he wants to give us this stuff and and so we've got to be careful the enemy will try and work to harden your heart because he understands that if you have a soft heart you're going to understand spiritual truths and you know, practical ways to live the Christian life. He says, you're going to grasp that, but I don't want you to grasp that. I want your heart to be hardened. And the way the devil tries to harden your heart, let's be honest, can be numerous ways. Disappointments, betrayal, letdown, a heart of regret. Um, and of course, what happens in our heart is we have this self-protecting mechanism that closes ourselves off from being hurt. And so we'd, oh, not going to go there again. If someone lets us down, oh, I won't trust them again. And so this self-protecting mechanism happens in our heart. But I want you to know we can't allow that because, we, you know, um, because if we do, we'll struggle to trust and struggle to love sometimes because we've just maybe closed off that parts of our heart or made it hard to that situation because our heart gets hurt. Now, I'm just glad Jesus comes along and he says something to all of us today about our heart attitude. Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, right at the start of his ministry, in verses 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the what? The brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recover of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus' mission was to provide healing to the heart that has been crushed and hurt. Would you agree that he, he knew the reality was that humanity, this humanity that had been created, you and me, there was going to be opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for us to find our heart sometimes a little crushed and a little hurt. There was going to be opportunity for that. I'm just glad that Jesus' surgery is open 24 hours a day. I'm just glad that I don't have to make an appointment with Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit. He's there. I don't even have to travel to his surgery. He's, he can be in your room. He can be here today. He can be anywhere. He can be there in your seat because he is here. I'm just glad he's omnipresent. That means everywhere at the same time. So I am just appreciate that. So Jesus says quite distinctly he's come and he, you know, for the broken, for the healed, the brokenhearted. You know, and... We have opportunity to have broken hearts. Look, let's be honest. We all have had times when our heart's been crushed or broken. That's okay. Um, people slander you. People make promises and don't deliver. People wound you. People betray you, let you down in life. We have opportunity after opportunity. But um, 
You know, one of the most incredible things I find when Jesus comes down and heals the broken heart or touches my heart or does something in my heart is when I yield to him my life. And whether that's through prayer, through thanksgiving, through praise, just through worship, I find that sometimes I've been quite naive to the reality that even in worship in the corporate sense here, as I've just loved on him and let his presence fall or touch my heart, I find that he fills my heart and he actually delivers me from the brokenness that I sometimes have in my heart. Isn't that amazing? It happens as we just yield to him, even in worship. That's why worship is such a powerful thing. Would you agree? Is we yield our life to him and he doesn't exchange my thoughts for his thoughts and then my ways for his ways. And I find that that hurt or that pain or that thing that I had is, is I haven't got it. It's not there anymore because I've just allowed my life to be submissive unto him. And I haven't said, no way, you know, I'm gonna just never going to go there again. I'm never going to allow that, that little, the door to that room ever be opened in my heart because that just hurts too much. But as we yield to him, he takes us and he helps us and he strengthens us. I'm just glad in Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I'll give you this. God says, I want to give you something. Don't ever, don't ever say God doesn't give you something. He wants to give you stuff all the time. I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That is God speaking to his people. That's God speaking to us today. You know, I've been, uh, he, he wants to take the attitude of judgment, that's my hard-heartedness, and give me a, an attitude of forgiveness. He wants to take the betrayal that I feel sometimes and just help me to be able to love again. He wants to take sometimes that, that, that maybe that sense that I didn't get acknowledged or I didn't get noticed or I didn't get that promotion, and he wants to give me a joy in my heart even though I don't get what I think I deserve. He wants so that I don't become bitter and hard in those areas. He wants to just, he wants to do the exchange. Um, I thank God that I have a God who wants to reach in and he wants to pull out the heart of stone and he wants to put the soft heart, the heart of flesh in my life so I can live with a smile on my face that's not kind of fake, but it's real. And there's joy in my heart because of what, you know, no one here would say, oh yeah, yeah, you know, count me in for the hard heart class you know no one wants that but we need to keep a soft heart but in in the life that we live there's opportunity to have a hard heart and God just says come on Jesus has come to heal the brokenhearted he's come to mend hasn't he he's come to do something and in actual fact come on we got to we all understand that the majority of the problems today in the world are because of the hardness of people's hearts let me even say, the, sometimes a good percentage of the sickness that we feel or have in our lives is because of the bitterness and the hardness of heart. Oh, how we need his healing balm of the oil of the Holy Spirit. Hey? Come on. You know, when I was 20 years of age, um, I, I uh, wanted to buy a house. And some of you know, know the story, but I, uh, I saw a house I wanted to buy and I didn't I didn't even have a girlfriend. I wasn't like trying to impress someone. I just thought it was a good investment. And so at 20, I bought a house, but I want to tell you how I bought a house. I, um, I was like a second year apprentice and I didn't have, a, I had $3,000 saved up as a deposit. And um, without me even asking, my dad came along and he said, hey, I'll give you the other three and that'll make six for a good deposit on that house. I said, really? You do that? He said, yeah, 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 let's do it. Come on, this is a good investment. Mind you, my investment was pretty basic, but it was a home. It was a box on stilts. 
uh, quite literally. Some of you might remember that. And, uh, and the wind in winter blew up through the floorboards because there was gaps and the carpet was so thin uh, that, you know, it just kind of blew up through the floorboards. And in summer, it was so hot. It was, it was you know, look, it was a home. And um, little did I know, four years later, I'd marry and I'd bring my wife home to that. Well, she was incredibly gracious for many years. <laughs> And I remember my two, eld- my two eldest daughters, little babies, and they were, we'd had them dressed like Eskimos in the middle of winter because that wind would just blow straight up through the floorboards. But, you know, it was home. We didn't care. But the interesting thing was my dad, who I paid back that $3,000 pretty quickly to, and, you know, he gave it to me interest-free, but I paid it back. But he was so welcoming and so desiring. In actual fact, there's a young men growing up, I can't, I can't, my dad was pretty giving to me. Uh, he was pretty generous with me. There was sometimes he'd say, oh, uh, you know, particularly in the latter days when he was retired, he, he, as I'm about to leave where he lived in Brisbane, he'd say, oh, do you want a couple hundred bucks? And I, and there was, I remember saying to dad, that's fine, no, it's cool, you keep that. Uh, save it up for when I maybe really need it one day. And I never did kind of get that off him, but it doesn't matter. But the reality is, is that I just... It, it was thankful for a dad that was giving. Now, you would wonder why I would tell you that story in relation to a hard heart if my dad had such a soft heart towards his children is because the story it goes way back before I was born because his dad and how he treated him was not that way. And as a young man, my dad, and the story goes like this, at the age, he left school maybe 13, 14, in the Gympie district, and his whole dream was to buy a block of land to grow, to grow something on, and pawpaws or pineapples. And so at 16, he found a block of land, and he went to the bank to get a bank loan to buy the block of land, and his father went guarantee, guarantor for him because he was underage. And so he said, yeah, so my dad bought this block of land with his father going guarantor, and the bank giving him the money, and he worked this land for probably a year. The, to this day, I've forgotten whether it was pineapples or pawpaws, but at the end of the season, he had so much fruit, and he took that fruit to market to sell to get a profit, and his father came along. His father, my grandfather, came along and said, that profit is mine, because I was the one who took the risk to give you, to go guarantor. I didn't, didn't give him any money. The bank did, but he was guarantor for him, and his father took the profits of, his, of, of that first crop. In actual fact, he never got a, a, a cent of the profits at all. And I remember my dad feeling hurt and, and sharing the pain of that. But you know, the miracle is that my dad obviously didn't harden his As much as it may have hurt him in regards to his own father, he didn't do that with his own children. Or maybe not with us who were latter in the family. I don't know the whole how it works, but he certainly was generous. I'm just thankful for a soft heart because I want to tell you, a soft heart allows us to to be a blessing and not a pain to people. A soft heart is, is incredible. You see, a soft heart helps you to forgive. A soft heart helps you to let go of the offense. A soft heart helps you to love others, but a hard heart keeps you from experiencing all that God has for you. See, a soft heart is a result of yielding our hurts and hearts to the work of God's presence through the Holy Spirit. So, you know, when it says, as a person thinks in their heart, can I encourage you to maintain a soft heart? 
throughout life. Now, if you get to your 90s or 100s, let's pray you do, why, why not get to that age and have, want to just see others blessed instead of having a grumpy attitude about life? Wouldn't it be great to get to that and still have a vigor and a joy in your heart because it's just soft and it's pliable to God's presence and you just want to see people blessed? And they don't sit in judgment, oh, this, this, this problem, this problem. But we'd actually be other people's cheerleaders in life. And we'd go through life cheering them on and welcoming and encouraging them and not just sitting back and saying, well, I never had those opportunities when I was younger. No, 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 why don't we just be thankful, hey? And I reckon that's a great testimony if we all got to 110 and we had a cheerful heart and a soft heart. I reckon that'd be brilliant. I think, in actual fact, I think you'll get to 110 because I think a soft heart doesn't allow stress, anxiety, uh, doesn't allow ulcers, doesn't allow pain, all those type of things would come in our life. I reckon that'd be a great way to go, wouldn't it? Come on. What's the second thing about hearts? If, we're gonna, if we think it as, as we think in our hearts, so are we. You know, the Bible just talks about a believing heart. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10. Let me read this to you. If you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart... There we go, that God has raised him from the dead. You will be what? Saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Isn't it interesting? Our mouth would confess, but our mouth, our heart is the one that believes. Our heart is where belief comes in. So our heart is the, is the seed of reasoning, isn't it? It's the seed of feeling. And, and so belief comes out of our heart. And then, of course, it flows out of our mouth if we believe that. It's the place where we trust and hope. It's the place of, of, of that seat of understanding. And if there was ever a biblical story about a couple who had to face the realities of needing to believe in the most impossible situations, because some of us, maybe today, just need to believe, even though the circumstance seems impossible. Abraham and Sarah are that couple. And of course, Abraham and Sarah are... Uh, were traveling away from their hometown, traveling out into the countryside. God had asked them to leave their hometown. And as they went out, God spoke to Abraham and said, See the stars of the sky? Your inheritance will be as numerous as that. And Abraham kind of must have thought about that. And he realized that he's 90 heading towards 100. He's in his 90s. And Sarah's 80s heading towards her 90s. And, you know, the truth is, is that Sarah was past her childbearing years. The baby factory had closed down. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't going anywhere. And yet God gives them this promise that you'll have an inheritance as numerous as the stars. Uh, what an incredible promise. And so he looked at the, he, it says in Scripture that he, in, he looked at the deadness. He didn't look at the deadness of Sarah's own body or the deadness of his own body. But he, what did he do? He believed God. He believed God, and God counted it to him as righteous. In other words, hey, <laughs> his belief um, is powerful. And today, there, you, know, you know, there's a nation called Israel because of a 99-year-old man who dared to believe God when God spoke to him about um, this time next year, you'll hold a little boy in your arms. 
And he dared to believe God to do the impossible. Do you realize that when we take the promises of the words that God speaks to us and that we have a believing heart instead of an unbelieving heart or instead of a skeptical heart or maybe a critical heart and we stand on the promises with confidence, no matter what the physical condition of the circumstances around us, we can trust God with what he said, his truth. What if you take his word? You might say, well, God's never spoken anything to me. Or maybe you've never read anything for him to speak to you. If you take God's word and you see the truth and you can claim it and say, God, that's for me. As for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. You say, but my household is far away from you. That doesn't mean you can't believe for it. Hey? Why don't you take his truth and his promise? Because with Abraham and Sarah, it was impossible. And sometimes we might get that diagnosis that's, that, you know, it seems, oh, that's a bad diagnosis. Or you might get that, that, that difficult time when there's no work around and the economy is screaming at you. You won't be able to find employment. Or maybe you get that, that situation where your family seems to be furthest away from Christ than it was when you started praying for them. So, but I'm just glad that those things are not the final authority. And God says, believing heart is a powerful heart to believe. That's how you receive salvation. It's how you receive the promises of his truth. Um, did you know in Acts chapter 4, they called us believers before they called us Christians? Because it didn't come until Acts chapter 11, um, Christianity, that word Christian. And see, you don't behave your way into the kingdom of God. You believe your way. You see, you see you, for God so loved the world that whoever believes, what? believes in him so you believe you believe your way into behaving differently don't you it's belief first it's so whatever it is in a person's heart if there was ever a, a story about um belief it's interesting there was a pharisee called jarius and no, no matter it even though even though jesus was number one enemies of a lot of the pharisees we see that jarius had a daughter who was on a deathbed and he, he, really, um, he, he was really desperate, and so he went to Jesus. And he said, would you heal my daughter? And Jesus says, yes, I'll come right now, and we'll heal your daughter. And on the way to healing the daughter, there was a lady who came and touched the edge of Jesus' garment because she had a sickness and a flow of blood for 12 years, and she was instantly healed. And so they, Jesus dealt with that and, and loved on her and encouraged her. And then he went, as he was going to Jarius' house, a, a, a servant of Jarius came and says, don't bother the teacher anymore because your daughter's dead. You know, like, get, prepare the funeral arrangements, Jarius. Your daughter's gone. And Jesus looks at Jarius and he says in Luke 8.50, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. Powerful. See, Jesus perceived Jarius was now fearful because he says, Don't be afraid, Jarius. Isn't that what happens? He didn't say, Don't worry. He didn't say, Don't grieve. Because he knew he could see into the heart of Jairus was that he was afraid for whatever reason. Don't be angry that I didn't get there in time, Jairus. Because the lady with the issue of blood pulled me up for a while. Don't, don't. He didn't say that. What he says is, don't be afraid. Because I, I was thinking about this. Why? Because fear is believing something you can't see will happen. Is that right? Guess what faith is? Faith is believing in something you can't see will happen. But when we start to have fear, it's just, you know, fear is believing in what you can't see, what you can't see will happen. You know, oh, I got a lump. 
Oh, it could be a tumor. It could be cancer. See, it, it's, it's, it's exaggeration. It's putting fear in your heart, believing, oh, this is what it is. No, no, no. You've got to come over this side and still believe that something you can't see will happen, but it's faith. It's a completely different thing. It's a different side of the fence. You know what I'm saying? And so Jarius, that's what Jesus is saying to Jarius. Don't believe in fear. Believe in faith of what you can't see at the moment. Your daughter's dead, but you but let's believe that she's going to be alive. So, belief. And the question that I had to ask myself is, how come I can jump to the fear side so quickly and believe for what I can't see to happen so easily sometimes, and yet find it difficult to jump to the faith side and believe for what I can't see to happen? Like wholeness and health and blessing. Why can't I believe for that? Why do I jump to the... Well, if you can do that fear so quickly, why not do the faith much easier? And we've got to train our minds to think that way, don't we? To start, and you think, oh, well, you know, it, would, it never happens for me. Or well, why don't you come in relationship with him? And maybe like Jarius, get just a little bit desperate, say, Father, I need more of you than I need of this world. <laughs> I need more of you in my life. Because... Both one response will shut down the power of God. The other response will open the gates for the power of God to flow. The world says seeing is believing, but Jesus says, believe and you'll see. <laughs> believe and you'll see. Let me just finish with this this morning. I, 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 contemplating what the Bible says about the heart. And there's one more thing that I think is really powerful in our lives. And, and the Bible talks about a loyal heart. He talks about a heart that, um, what we said already, he talks about a, um, what were they? My goodness. He talks about a, a believing heart. He talks about a soft heart. And he also talks about a loyal heart. Let's, let me just turn, Second Chronicles 16.9. We'll finish with this. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is what? Loyal to him. I'll say it again, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is speaking in, in 2 Chronicles to a king. His name's Asa. And Asa has not trusted the Lord like he should have. And he's drifted away from God. And, and he's challenging the king and he's challenging the Israelites again. Um, you know, when I came to the Lord Jesus at the age of 13, I came to the Lord on a beach. And the, and the guy who brought me to the Lord was my cousin. I'll be forever in, indebted to his um, ability to share Jesus with me and me making a commitment. I never came to the Lord in a church, so I didn't have any kind of, you know, in that sense, uh, understanding of, of everything about church, even though I'd gone to Sunday school when I was younger, but I had never been to church services. So I came to the Lord, and I was very zealous for God, and he kind of went back to his hometown and left me, and I'm this new Christian. And so at the age of 13, I said to my mum one Sunday morning, hey, um, mum, I've got to find a church. I just had this sense. No one told me. I just had this sense I needed to find a place of like believers, of people who love God, who were like me. And so I, I just simply got up, and, and it must have been in the days where, you know, I don't know what mum said, but maybe she thought... She saw I was pretty determined and just let me go. And so I wandered down the, down the uh, Dawson Highway towards the, the city center of Gladstone, and I found a church. And I was committed there. And I became loyal there. And people loved me, and I loved people. It was great. It was a great time, you know, since the age of 13. 
and, uh, and then eventually, um, God has done this amazing thing, and, and I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the evidence to speak in tongues, and, and just his, whoa, wow, and, and God brought me to a new level, and I eventually went and saw the precious pastor of that church, and they said, because I, like, I was like a ball of fire, I wanted to change everybody in the church, and, and he wasn't quite prepared for that, and I, I understood that, and I said to him, did you mind if I come over to that, do you mind if I go to that other church? And he says, no, no. That's okay, I under- because I wanted to be upright before him and tell him what I was doing and not just run away. And so he said, yeah, 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 that's fine. I've still got friends in that church in Gladstone, the other church. I love those people. And- but I come to this church as an 18-year-old, and God was doing something really powerful. And I just found that I had a heart just to do whatever there was to do, just serve, just serve, just be... Just be loyal, more importantly, loyal to God, loyal to His ways and to love Him. And then I found out of that flowed this desire just to be loyal to other people and be loyal to His body, the church. And so it was a powerful example. The thing and the interesting thing about this is I remember um, we had a double-decker bus donated to us as a church many years ago. Some of you don't know this history. Some of you do. And I helped, and a whole bunch of us, we made this double-decker bus into a coffee shop. The bottom level was a coffee shop, and the top level was a was like a um, place to sleep and have rooms to pray with people. And, and so we'd go to the Harbour Festival at Easter. We'd put it there, and we'd sing these songs, and we'd share. And these people would come and commit their life to Christ. It was a brilliant opportunity we had. And I remember one Easter, I was there, and it was just like three or four of us, and I set it up, and I'd been talking to people kind of all afternoon, all night, and take, you know, making cups of coffee and chatting with them. And two of my friends from this church came, and within 30 minutes, they, they led a, a girl to the Lord Jesus. And I thought, and in my heart, I was going, fair dinkum, I've been here three hours, and they end up turning up in 30 minutes, and they lead someone to Jesus. And what's wrong with me, you know? And, and those two guys, um, good friends, and still are in a way, and they've, they, they kind of left after that to go to an Easter conference, youth conference, and I wanted to go to that, but I just felt this incredible, I need to stay and be loyal to this outreach that we're doing, and I kind of, for a season there, felt regret about that, oh, I'm missing out in the youth conference, but you know, there was something within me that said, you know, just be loyal, and these two guys went on to be pastors and go to Bible college and marry great ladies, and, and one of them still pastoring, and so they're good guys, but, and I thought, what's wrong with me? Why have I got to stay in Gladstone? You know, why, where's my opportunity? And I was always waiting for God to tap me on the shoulder and say, leave Gladstone and become a famous pastor. And the opportunity never came because God was giving me the opportunity right here. And it was called just being loyal, just being faithful. And, and I was remembering, thinking about this, and I said, God, my two mates seem to be more anointed, more gifted than me. They, they seem to have this ability, better speaking ability than me. And, and you know, I was saying, God, what's with that? And then I, I discovered this verse. And it says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those who are loyal. Did you notice it doesn't say those who are more anointed, even though we want to be anointed? It doesn't say those who are more gifted, because to be honest, I wasn't that gifted, folks. But you know what? That's okay because God shows himself strong on behalf of those who are just faithful and loyal to him. Strong. He shows himself strong. You know, if we want a heart, 
after God, just have a heart that's loyal. Because he's, he's, in a sense, he hangs over the side of heaven and he's looking for people like that. Just a loyal heart. Loyal to love people. Loyal just to be faithful. Loyal to do the things that need to be done. And I remember as a young man, I just would, I'd go to the Saturday morning prayer meeting and I'd just, I'd just be there. I'd go and pray. Sometimes it was just me and the senior pastor, but we just, that was what I got to pray. Sometimes I remember the times before I became a youth pastor here. I'd lay on the, I was laying one um, afternoon on my carpet in my room, in my bedroom, and literally crying for the young people I saw in that church that just weren't going on for God. And I'd cry, literally cry for them and pray for them and reach out. To, and then eventually someone said, hey, 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 you need to become the youth pastor. I said, well, that's a good idea. What do you think? And so I did. And God has been loyal ever since. And I just want to say God is incredibly, when we're loyal, but you know your loyalty will be tested. Did you know that? Did you know if they want to test your physical heart, see how much stress it, they'll put you on a treadmill and you've got to walk or run. Some of you have done that exercise and they put all these monitors. And, and depending on how your heart reacts is how much they'll make you run. If it's going okay, they'll make you jog a little bit faster to test your heart, how much your heart can handle. And I want to say that sometimes loyalty will be tested like that on how much you can handle. And I remember at the age of 28 uh, when they said to me, hey, you become youth pastor here in this church. Um, I thought, God, that's your calling. And in the same year, Michelle got pregnant and left her work, and I left my work. So she was a dental therapist. I was a mechanical technical officer at the power station. And we come together. We went from two pretty good wages to one small wage, but we didn't even think about that. It wasn't a hassle. It was just a joy. And then she felt pregnant. We had a little baby to look after. The very first year I came here, and I think, Father, and you know, it was amazing. It was tested how loyal I was going to be. Are you really going to serve me, even though I reduce your wage by half? I said, yeah. Yeah, we will. And I'm amazed that when someone, it was always so good, God's blessing. And, the, and, and, and a little, our little box on stilts in the wind, it was cold in winter and hot in summer. And someone turned up with a big fridge that was secondhand, but it lasted like 15 years. So thanks, Andrew. <laughs> I know it was your grandmother's, but it was a good fridge. And then someone else come and gave us a lounge because when you sat on the one I had, you could bottom almost touch the carpet. And they know who they are. And then someone come along and gave me, a I never bought a television in my life and we'd be married like, like 10 years. And someone come along and bought me a widescreen television and put it in my lounge and pretended that they were going to come and just watch the footy with me. And then they walked away and said, hey, you've got to take your telly. No, that's yours. So thanks, Jeff. But it was tested. Your loyalty gets tested. See, if our heart. As a man thinks in their heart, or as a woman thinks in their heart, as a young person thinks, so are what? They. What's your heart like today? It is the source of all life, I tell you. Holy Spirit's the source of all life, but Him in you. Can we stand this morning? I just want us to pray, and we're going to just worship and finish this morning's service. Maybe your heart's been hurt today. Um, and it's, been, it's like someone has grabbed it, you trusted them, and they've taken it, and it's like they've just stamped all over your heart. 
and it's hurt because of that. But today, maybe, to, well, today is the day where you're going to say, I've had enough of that. I want just you to put a new heart within me, God. Maybe today there's just the pain and the situations of, of um, where your heart just feels like there's no, no chance or no room for belief anymore because you've believed and nothing's happened. Why don't you just start to believe afresh today? Don't let that critical thing become part of your heart. Let belief afresh today. Why don't you shift it up a little bit today? And say, I'm just going to draw near to you again today, Father, because I want you to invest you. I want you to reach inside and put a heart of softness and flesh in there and take out the hardness of my heart. Father, just put in me a loyalty to you. It doesn't have to be this church, but a loyalty to you more than any other loyalty, Father God. Now stop kind of having, having bets both ways. I've got one foot in the world and, and then one foot with you, but Lord, help me to, to just to have both feet in the camp with you and be loyal to you and your purposes today. So today, we're going to just worship, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to close. But in that time of worship, I want you just to open your heart and say, Father, come. And you yield up those things. You give over those things today and let him be God. He can break every chain that's in our life. Come on. Come on, team.